message. Hey, thank you. Let's give them a big hand. Love the mother-daughter duo. That's awesome. Great job, Karis. Your uh, announcements are very clear and succinct. I I appreciate it. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Um, My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Access, and it's my privilege to welcome all of you here today on this Sunday, um, on this Faith Village Sunday. It's great to have all the kids here. Um, Hopefully, I won't bore you to death, but uh, yeah, I'm excited about today's message. Um, You probably, many of you guys know this, that last Sunday, we did not have our Sunday gatherings because we had our church-wide retreat. Uh, which was called Sacred Stories, Finding Christ in Our Diversity. And so uh, we had a great time. In case you missed it, we put together this two-minute two video that we wanted to show um, just to kind of give you a glimpse into what happened this past weekend. So if we could show the video, that would be great. So hopefully, if you didn't get a chance to go this past year, you'll be sure to sign up the next time we have retreats. So uh, we had a fantastic time. I'll share a little bit more about that during the message. But for now, let's go ahead and pray together. God, thanks a lot for this, uh, for the fantastic time that we had this past weekend. Um, Thanks for being with us, God, at the retreat. Um, And as we gather today to worship you as a faith village, uh, from young to old, We recognize that we are here because of you, and you are here with us. So I pray that your spirit would uh, speak to us, help us to hear you, and to know how you would have us live in this world and with the lives that you have given to us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is risen and who has made a way. In your name we pray. Amen. 
So we're in a series uh, called A Church That Unites Diverse People. We've been exploring how the early church grew from this band of small Jewish followers and over time turned into this global multi-ethnic movement kind of spanning you know, the whole, whole world. And several Sundays ago, um, we saw how that one way that we as a church might participate and continue in what God started with the early church is when we as a people regularly let unexpected people into our regular lives. You guys remember that? We talked about letting unexpected people regularly into our lives. And we had a a kind of an interesting experience of that even this past weekend retreat because our retreat coordinator from Pine Cove was a guy named Austin Lim, L-I-M. And it turns out he's biracial, he's half white, half Malaysian. And so when he found out about our retreat, he was, and our theme in particular, he was very interested in it. And several times throughout the retreat weekend, he would come up and talk to Grace, he would come up and talk to me, because he just wanted to learn more and know more. And in fact, um, you know, they live in, they're all like situated in Columbus, Texas, which is about like 45 minutes west of Katy. And he was asking for like uh, restaurant recommendations, uh, Chinese restaurants, Malaysian restaurants that he could introduce his friends and his colleagues to part of his Asian culture. And so we exchanged info and he hopes to visit one Sunday. So if you meet a guy named Austin, be sure to welcome him and say hi. And that to me is just a small little example of how unexpected connections can happen when we're willing to open ourselves up to that. And I'm willing to bet that some of you have stories of how that has happened in your life. And there are still stories that are waiting to be unfolded as we continue in this vision and mission. Well, today we're in Acts chapter 5. And so last uh, last time we were gathered together, we looked at Acts chapter 4. And if you follow the narrative of Acts, what you'll see is that in chapters 4 and 5, the early church starts to encounter its first uh, forms of real resistance, challenge, and obstacles. Uh, Up until chapters 4 and 5, everything is going relatively smoothly for the early church. They have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and as a result of that, they're just like, they're just on fire, and it's just like the power of God is just exuding out of them. And so they're telling people boldly about God. Uh, They are healing people from sickness, blindness, uh, paralysis, you know, that that they've had this their whole life, and they're doing it in in just unmistakably supernatural ways. Uh, And as a result of this, the community is just growing and it's exploding. Uh, They are on fire. And as this is happening, people start taking notice And that includes a group of people called the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. They start to take notice. And if you remember, during Jesus' life, it was these same leaders who took notice of Jesus. And over time, as Jesus did his ministry, they became threatened by his growing popularity and the teaching that he was introducing. And they started to oppose him. And gradually, it reached a point where they were like, enough, We really need to get rid of this guy. And so these Jewish leaders convinced the Roman government to literally, to kill him. And that was the way they were going to dispose of Jesus. And their thinking was, if we get rid of Jesus, this whole thing, this whole Christian thing, this whole movement of new Christ followers will just go away. But it didn't. 
instead of going away, these Christ followers actually grew more bold, more courageous, and their movement actually grew and spread. And every time these disciples and these followers of Christ would open their mouth about Jesus and, and tell people, hey, you know that Jesus who is, who is killed, he is now alive. Every time they would open their mouths, it was a reminder. It was an indictment of the Jewish leaders who had put, them, put Jesus on the cross, right? So uh, they have had enough, and now they want to take some action. So this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. So it's really obvious if you read the story that there's really no legal grounds for their arrest. Uh, the, the main thing is that these Jewish leaders feel threatened, they're jealous, they're afraid of losing their power, so they're willing to bend the law, and so they're just going to do whatever they can to try to put a stop to this. So they throw them in prison. And it's, it's pretty obvious that this prison isn't like a maximum security facility, but it's a prison no less. And prisons are meant to confine Prisons are meant to discourage, to intimidate, and to scare them. But it doesn't work at all. This is what happens. So during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And the angel said to them, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people, about, tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach people. So this is really uh, an unexpected turn of events because an angel, a messenger of God, and and you'll kind of see in the New Testament as God's intervention and action in history kind of reaches different uh, significant points it's often accompanied with angelic beings, right? And so as the church is forming, as these uh, disciples are in prison, an angel actually comes to the rescue and breaks them out of prison. But this isn't a typical prison break because he's not like, now go, flee to Costa Rica, right? Uh, Go to, you know, a nation that's like sovereign and doesn't have extradition laws. He's like, go back actually to the temple court, the very place where you were arrested, and keep telling people about Jesus. So that's what they do. Let's look what, what happens when the high priest find out. So when the high priest and his associates arrived at the jail, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the, camp, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. 
Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So the leaders, they return to the jail and now they're just, they're kind of, they're confounded by what's, what's happened. You know, what is going on? How did these guys get out of jail in the first place? And the guards are still there. Everything's in order. And why are they still teaching and talking about Jesus? Why can't they just stop for like a minute? Uh, and so you, can, you get the sense of their frustration and their agitation. It reminds me a little bit of like parents when, you know, our little ones first learn to say no and everything's no, 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 no. Uh, for us, uh, one of our children learned how to say the word why. Uh, and it was, he had a particular way of saying, saying it. It wasn't just like, you know, why. It was like, it, it would be like, why? Like that. He would say, why? So everything we would ask, like, hey, you know, let's, you know, can you eat some food? Why? Uh, let's go take a bath. Why? Do you want, you know, do you want to go for a walk? Why? Like, everything was why, 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 right? And, you know, at first it was really, really, really cute. You know, eventually you're like, oh, you're kind of good at the kind of stuff. So uh, the leaders are feeling a little bit of this, maybe a lot more of this, actually. Like, can't they just stop talking about Jesus? says they, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And what they want is they want the memory of Jesus and everything that happened surrounding Jesus to just go away. But the disciples won't stop, and they can't stop. So Peter gives another speech. Remember, Acts has all these speeches of Peter. And he says this, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So Peter doesn't back down for even a second. He's like, yeah, you are, you're darn right. You did kill him. You did kill him. And you are guilty of this man's blood. You hung him on a cross that God has exalted him. You tried to kill him, but God has made him alive again. You tried to stop God's plan, but God cannot be stopped. Of course, this speech doesn't go over so well with uh, the leaders. And so they go from frustrated, agitated, to just like, like uh, level 10 furious. And now they just wanna, they, they want blood. They, wanna, they really want to kill these apostles, just like they killed Jesus. But fortunately, a man named Gamaliel steps in at just the right time. So when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. So Gamaliel, if you read the rest of Acts, uh, you'll well, I see some of Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul. Paul talks about how his mentor and his tutor was Gamaliel. So Gamaliel is considered one of the most well-respected Pharisees. He was like a Pharisee of the Pharisees, right? A a mentor and a teacher, a professor of Pharisees. So very well-respected. And then he addressed the Sanhedrin. 
So he's talking to the leaders. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He, too, was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Keep in mind that Jesus was not the first person to claim to be the Messiah. Right? So Messiah means anointed one. It means savior. It was the one that pe- the, the Jewish people were expecting that God would send to deliver them. And there were many people who claimed to be messiahs pre- prior to Jesus. And there were people who claimed to be messiahs after Jesus. I mean, even today, we have people claiming to be messiahs, right? Saviors. Uh, and all these people who came before, before him, there was this predictable pattern. Maybe they had a lot of charisma. Maybe they were physically strong. But they were able to command an audience, and people would be drawn to them in their desperation, in their despair. They, this person would come with confidence, with leadership, and people would be like, okay, I will follow you. I'll lay down my life for you. Just tell us what to do. And so these, this leader and maybe their band of followers would stage a revolt or stage some sort of uh, action against the Roman government or the, the powers that were oppressing them. But inevitably, the outcome was the same because these powers would come with their force and might and they would just crush it. And if you crush the head, so goes the body. And so inevitably what would happen is all these fervent disciples would soon be kind of struck lost and confused. Their fervor would turn into like despair and doubt. And over time, they would just dissipate. They would literally just go away. Maybe until the next Messiah came. And so this is Gamaliel's point. Jesus is gone. We got rid of him. We crucified him. And so just like all the other so-called messiahs, we just need to wait this out. Because over time, these fervent disciples will eventually just go away. But if this is different, if this is from God, then you better watch out. If this is from God, there's nothing you can do to stop it. You don't want to be found putting up a fight against God, do you? So Gamaliel offers this pearl of advice, which which is worth all of us chewing on and and really internalizing. Is that if God is in it, if God is in something, that thing cannot be stopped. If God is with the person, that person will not be stopped. If God is in a situation or in, his will is in something, his will will be accomplished. God cannot be stopped. And so his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I remember when I first read this verse in high school, I was like, man, this is amazing. These disciples are actually, they're worshiping because they were counted worthy of counting disgrace for the name of Jesus. What devotion and love. And it's interesting because uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, just kind of throws it, oh, and the disciples were flogged, right? Like as if it's like really nothing. Uh, you know, youth and kids, being flogged is, uh, you know, it's not like a timeout. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's not holding a telephone book for like, you know, four hours like this, whatever, right? It would be considered a form of torture, right? A, a viable, like legitimate form of cruel and unusual punishment. It was bloody. It was painful. And the disciples were flogged for doing nothing wrong. They were imprisoned. And yet they counted, they counted it an honor to suffer like their leader, like they had seen their leader suffer. And they realized this is a bit of modicum of what our Savior has done for us. So it turns out that Gamaliel was right, but not in the way that he expected. Because Gamaliel expected these Christians to just die out, to wither away, and to become yesterday's news. But instead, this message of Jesus this message of Jesus risen, died and risen again continues to be proclaimed and it continues to spread and it continues to catch on like wildfire. And what we see in this story is that prison couldn't stop them. Putting their leader on a cross couldn't stop them. They couldn't be stopped because God can't be stopped. And now, 2,000 years later, this fledgling group of courageous disciples has become the global church, right? You look at, you know, access is here. Every single church in Houston is here because of what started there, right? This fledgling group became the global movement, the global multi-ethnic movement, we call the church. And for all the mistakes and failures and hypocrisy of the church, and there are many, right? There are many. For all those things, somehow, some way, this thing called the church, this fragile, broken, yet beautiful thing called the church, continues to live on, continues to beat and grow. Not because of its own merit, not because we are lovable, good people, but because of God, because of what God has done, because, what a, what, because of God's passionate commitment to the church, because God is with and in the church, and God cannot be stopped. Um, all this reminds me of a time I played tackle football. Uh, this is years ago. Not on a team or anything, it was just like uh, for fun on Thanksgiving Day, right? So I was, we were playing tackle football, and it was, uh, I was still at an age where I cared about winning the turkey bowl, right? And so uh, there was this really big dude, uh, 
that broke some tackles. And I knew that if I didn't stop him, he was going to score a touchdown. Uh, and this guy, um, if he were a rhino, I would be like a squirrel. Okay, that was kind of like our size difference. He was like a, like a iron ball, like just really solid, not like just really strong, but also very quick. And so he's coming at me at like 45 miles, like a semi-truck, like just kind of barreling at me. I'm just like, oh, Lord, what do I do? All right, so uh, I decided I would get in front of him. And I mean, I couldn't tackle him. So all I could do is like I grabbed on his shirt and I just pulled down as, as hard as I could, right? And so uh, I pulled him down on top of me. And so I, I guess you, he kind of tackled me, but <laughs> the play stopped, all right? Um, and uh, yeah, I, it was a really foolish thing to do because I could have died. But I just can't, you know, after he got up, he's like, you know, John, are you okay? I'm like, I kind of limped up. I had a really bad limp, Charlie horses and every single appendage for the rest of the game. Um, and so, and, and this happened because, I mean, it was no surprise because the laws of physics dictate that if a rhinoceros and a, and a squirrel collide, uh, it is not the squirrel that gets injured. And so this story and narrative confronts us with a critical observation and a critical question. And the observation is this, that it is entirely possible to try to fight against God. It is entirely possible for a squirrel to try to put up a fight against a rhino. Foolish, yes, but possible, yes, yes. Most people don't set out to fight against God, or at least, you know, you know, consciously. But what if unbeknownst to us, the way that we're living, you know, uh, the, way we've, the way we think, or our, our, the, our way of life is actually in opposition to God and God's ways. Is that possible? I know that in my own life, there are times when I become so fixed on something happening, right? Like, or like, I'm just so committed to a particular agenda, or I just think this is what I want. I think this is good. Or I'm so convinced that I don't want something to happen, and I will really stop at nothing to make sure that the outcome that I want is the, is the outcome I will achieve and see. And I, I, I just sort of assume that maybe God's okay with this, that God will bless me or just, you know, that, I don't know, it's, yeah, that, that God's just okay with it. But we need to take a cue from these Jewish leaders because they missed the bigger picture. I don't think they set out to say, you know, we're going to fight against God. Actually, they were just so convinced that we need to stop this at all costs that they missed the bigger picture. They missed what God was doing right in front of their eyes. And they were found fighting against the living God. And so this observation that it is possible to actually fight against God invites us to ask the more important question. Do we want to spend our lives striving against God, fighting against God? Or do we want to choose our, our, our choose? to join with God in striving for the things he cares about? Right? That's a kind of a fundamental question, an orientation question that all of us have to wrestle with. Do I want to spend my life just kind of fighting against God, striving against him? Or do I want to choose to live my life aligned with God, joining God in what he, fighting for what he cares about, 
what he is about. As a church, if you've been with us over the last, uh, you know, several weeks, you'll know that we have made a significant declaration as a church body. That our vision as a church is to be a church that is striving for unity in diversity. The message series that we're currently in is another way of putting it. We want to be a church that unites diverse people. And I want to challenge each of us here to ask the question of ourselves, that do I really believe that this vision is from God? Right? Do I really believe that God has called us to this? Do I really believe this is what Axis is called to pursue? Do I really believe that God is in this? Do I really believe it? And as I've wrestled with that question, I've thought about the witness of Scripture, history, and my own personal convictions. I think about passages, just to name a few, like John 17, Galatians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 2 to 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and Revelation 7. And these are just a sampling. And I think of what these scriptures testify to. And I come to the conclusion that in a humble, yet convicted, and resounding, and hopeful way, Yes, this is what God has called the church to be about. Do I know the specifics, you know? Do we know, like, what exactly that will look like? What percentage of, you know, different multiracial ethnic people we'll have in our community? I don't know. Do we know exactly how we'll get there? No. Do we know the strategy? No. Do we even know the timeline? No. But what I do know, what I'm convinced of, is that this is the direction that God would have us pursue. This is the ark. And no matter how long it takes for us to get there, this is worth pursuing because it is from God and God is in it. Um, In her book, Roadmap to Reconciliation, a brilliant writer uh, and uh, activist uh, and thinker along this whole work of racial reconciliation, the Reverend Brenda Salter McNeil talks about the importance of churches who are committed to this work, that it can't just be buried alongside like a hundred different ministry programs and priorities and values. It needs to be like, it needs to really be in the vision statement. It needs to be that central to the vision of a church. And that's why as we have been working and we shared our vision statement uh, recently, that's why this aspect of our vision is right there. Our vision is to be a church striving for unity in diversity. Not just kumbaya holding hands, like, oh, it's, it's, it's nice just to sit together in a room. To, to, to really have like this, this deep uncommon unity that can only come through knowing that despite our differences, even despite uh, our failures to one another, Christ makes a way for forgiveness and reconciliation to be possible. Uh, A unity that says, you know, we stand in solidarity with those who have suffered, that we will see change, not just at a communal level, but even at a systemic level, right? That that's the kind of universe, uh, unity that we are after. And we have purposely placed it in our vision statement. You can go on our website, you'll see it there, to say that, you know, 
this is true north for us. This is what we're about. And so we're going we're gonna to invest resources and energy into moving towards this vision. This is meant to give all of us a sense of clarity about who we are and what we want to be. But I have to acknowledge that sometimes, deep in my heart and in my thought life, it doesn't feel as clear. Sometimes I question whether God is really in this or not. Because I look at our world, I look at society, and I think, man, progress seems so painfully slow. I think about how, you know, uh, how difficult it is for people to step across the aisle. I think about how it's, it's totally normal and how there's just like this, it's like swimming upstream because people like you and me, we, we rather just hang out with people that, you know, are like us, that like the same things we like and that talk the way we talk and live the same, in the same zip code that we live. That's, that's natural human tendency. I think about how um, hard it is to acknowledge sins, past and present, and, especially, and, and to own the things that have happened in the past, maybe of which we did, we're not direct contributors to, but we benefit from in the present, and how that's uncomfortable to acknowledge. And I think about how more difficult still it is to confront the, the issues, the glaring issues in our society today, and how in systemic ways violence continues to crush brown and black bodies uh, at a disproportionate rate. But maybe most personally, when I look in the mirror, um, when I take a second to consider my own heart, and I see the biases that I have, the prejudice, I mean, bigotry in my own heart and racist attitudes, all of it makes me wonder, is it possible? Is God really in this? Is this what God really wants? But then I'm reminded that the early followers of Jesus, they didn't stop doing what they were called to do because they hit some obstacles and challenges. Prison couldn't stop them. And as as we'll see later, even killing them couldn't stop them. They were willing to give their lives for this cause, the cause of Jesus, because they believed in it that much. They were that transformed by it. And I'm reminded from their example that opposition, okay, opposition, whatever form, whatever it comes from within or from without, that opposition isn't a sign that something's not worth it. It's simply a sign that the thing that we're pursuing will come as with sacrifice. It'll only come with perseverance and with courage. And I'm reminded of these words of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, you know, who persisted in the good fight for civil rights. You know, many of us are familiar with his I Have a Dream speech, and we've heard this. And what we know, though, is that Martin Luther King knew that his dream and the dream that was uh, shared by many of his uh, allies was not a dream that would be realized in his lifetime. And yet, despite all the opposition he continued to face, he still clung on to hope. Uh, I want us to listen to a short excerpt from a a speech he gave in Atlanta 
1967, and it, it talks a little bit about the perspective that we need as we pursue any vision worth pursuing. When our days become dreary with low hovering clouds of despair, when our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, let us remember that there is a creative force in this universe working to pull down the gigantic mountains of evil, a power that is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. Let us realize that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Let us realize that William Cullen Bryant is right. Truth crushed to earth will rise again. Let us go out realizing that the Bible is right. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This is our hope for the future. With this faith, we will be able to sing in some not-too-distant tomorrow with a cosmic past tense. We have overcome. We have overcome deep in my heart. I did believe we would overcome. Yeah, amen. I love what he says in this speech, the arc of the moral universe is long, right? It doesn't happen like this. It doesn't happen overnight. It is long, but it bends. It bends towards justice. Uh, Youth and kids, I wanted to say something to y'all specifically. Sometimes you don't have to be uncomfortable. This is just my encouragement to you based on what we're hearing, right? Sometimes doing the right thing is hard. Sometimes doing what God is calling you to do will be really uncomfortable and it might be unpopular and people might criticize you or stand in your way, right? But know that the people that have come before you have followed Christ, counted the cost, and for them it was worth it. And they persisted, they persevered. So don't give up. You know, if you're facing a situation now where you find like, oh, I don't know, like everyone else is saying I should do this or that, But if you know that God is calling you to do it, don't give up on it. I love what Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary in doing what is good, for in due time we will reap a harvest. Uh, We will reap a harvest. Um, So, friends, we had a, I think we had a very significant time at our retreat. At our retreat, we shared sacred stories of our ethnic, cultural, and family journeys. We received those stories. We honored those stories. It, was, uh, it felt really good. You know, it was very encouraging. And I think it was a necessary first step for our community. But I know this, that as we continue to pursue this journey, that what is ahead is going to be very challenging. It will be very challenging. There will be a lot of obstacles, and we will be tested and pulled in a lot of different directions. But as we step forward, we know that we do not step forward alone because God is with us and God cannot be stopped. Let's pray.
in this uh, just brief pause or stillness, I just invite you to ask the question to God. God, what do you want me to know today? What do you want me to know? Spirit of God, thank you that the same spirit that was with the early church that enabled them to live so boldly, so courageously is the same spirit that lives inside each of us today who calls on you. Help us to be faithful to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'd like to invite us into uh, some reflection and conversation. So there's some questions up on here. Um, Take a second just to read through some of these questions. Um, it's a way for us to continue to process um, what this means to you and what this means to me and us, right? So uh, take a second to read through these questions. Um, and I'm going to give us about five minutes or so just to, just to turn to two or three people sitting next to us. And uh, yeah, just maybe you can pick one question or, or if there's just something that you heard today that stands out to you, you can share that with um, the people sitting there. So it's very open. If you don't want to share, feel free to pass. There's no pressure. Um, but this is just a way for us to take what we're hearing and bring it a little bit deeper into our lives, right? So um, let's go ahead and take the next. Uh, let's go ahead and take the next five minutes to have some conversation. Let's be sure the people sitting around us have an opportunity to join our circles if uh, you know they don't have a group. Okay, so let's go ahead and do that now.